0: This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of Analyzing Everton. Very much a end of season review. Uh, it's our first episode in about seven weeks now. Um, but we thought we'd wait until the end of the season just to see you know, how it would play out because it was all very tight going into those final few games of the season. You know, would Everton be... Potentially sneaking the European spot, or would they end up finishing somewhere rubbish like tenth? And typically, it was the it was the latter. Um, <laughs> as ever, joined by Josh Williams. Josh, it's been a few weeks, hasn't it? So uh, tell everyone how are you?
1: I'm all right. It, it has been a while, yeah. Uh, I can't remember where, where last time we spoke, but it certainly wasn't tenth. Um, so yeah, it's going to be insistence to speak about what happened, I suppose, and look ahead to the summer and, and next season.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think they were, so I think our last episode came came around maybe late March and it kind of in around the top six still, maybe top seven. Um, And then it was really what was the the business end of the campaign. You know, the the final kind of 10 games uh, on paper, Everton had a fairly decent run uh, in terms of opponents. You know, there was one or two tough games in there, but there was also on paper, at least some some fairly easy matches against the likes of Sheffield United at home. Um, I think there was a game at Brighton as well. Palace, uh, ironically, up each all three of those games, they didn't win. Uh, they ended up winning actually just three of the final ten Premier League matches, which kind of indicates why um, why they ended up finishing where they did, which was which was obviously tenth. Um, I mean, where do we start, Josh? Uh, I guess we'll start by looking at, at, at the numbers, maybe, and and see if this 10th position finish was fair. Now, do you want to take an opportunity here, by the way, to respond to some of those people who, throughout the campaign, you know, specifically around, say, Boxing Day, New Year, when Everton were, you know, well, Everton were second on Boxing Day. So I had a few messages around then saying, you know, is Josh going to change his. Uh, his prediction for Everton this season to finish somewhere in and around eighth. Would you like to respond to those people now, or?
1: <laughs> well, now looks like a good sound to do, it, right, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. Without wanting to look like an overall, I suppose, which I think it, it, that's very easy to happen. Uh, it, it it kind of has played out a, exactly how I expected, really, and exactly how the numbers kind of suggested too. You know, I, I can't remember exactly what I said at the start of the season. But it was along the lines of, I think I said, if Everton finish, I can't remember if I said, if Everton finish eighth or if Everton finish above eighth, they've had a really, really good season. And this was despite signing the likes of James Rodriguez and, and players like this. Because I remember looking at Everton's goal difference last season and their goal difference was bad. Basically, their goal difference was minus Less 12. 12 yeah. yeah, so I was thinking to myself, you know, what do they need to, to, to get above 8th this season. And what they kind of needed was a, a, probably a 20-goal swing overall in terms of your attack and defence combined. You need to be overall about 20 goals better. And in the end, obviously, the 5-0 defeat against City on the last game of the season didn't help. But Everton have actually ended the season on minus one. So uh, they've, they've, I suppose they've improved in that sense by, by about 11 goals for the season, which isn't bad when you actually look at it. But I suppose when you're looking at standings in the league, it obviously doesn't flatter Everton much that they've jumped from. That they jumped the tenth from last season, where they were twelfth, so they've jumped up two places. But I do think in the, over the course of the season, that's probably a realistic progression. Um, but it just might not really feel that way because it's nothing special.
0: Yeah, that's. I suppose we'll we'll come to that now. I was going to come back come to it in a little bit, but whilst whilst it's kind of relevant to the, the conversation, uh, you know, if you do if you do look at the season as a whole compared to the last and ask has there been progression, you'd say, although it doesn't feel like it, you'd say that there has been, um, because of you know that kind of improvement of eleven goals on the goal difference, even with that five 0 defeat on the final day. Um, also added, you know, ten points better off than last season. Um, you know, the fifty nine that Everton finished on, that's what Tottenham finished on last season. They they finished inside the top six. Um, yeah, you know, I think there's there's an element of rel- relativity to it all in that you know, uh, you, you can't always just compare campaign to campaign. Uh, I think there's the, it's obviously different teams and it plays out different ways where. Know, certain teams accumulating a higher proportion of the points on offer and all these little minute details. But, you know, we're just looking, from, looking at it from this wider perspective. 11 goals better off in the goal difference, 10 points better off uh, than last season and obviously two places better off. So from that point of view, there is progression. It's just whether it's deemed enough um, because obviously the the players that brought in are you know, hoping to go that bit further. Um, and, I think a really good correlation that you should be aiming for is when you look at the the revenue of each side in the Premier League compared to league position, and obviously the top six are miles ahead of the rest of the league, but outside of them, it's it you know Everton are probably in the best position financially. Um So in my opinion, Everton should at the very least be finishing seventh at the moment. You no, know, they should be. At least seventh and pushing for top six. If they're if the being a club that's doing things right on the pitch, getting recruitment right and being well run, uh, obviously, if, if you then look at it from that perspective, finishing tenth is, is a disappointment, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and I agree with you. I think if I was an Evertonian, you know, I, I, that's kind of what I would be after. I'd be after, I suppose, along the lines of what Leicester are doing and along the lines of maybe what Spurs did under Poch. That sort of thing, really. As a seal, obviously, it's difficult. You have to make better decisions than the, the richer teams than you to to compete. It's not easy. You have to get less wrong, and you have to think differently. And I think that's been Everton's issue. You know, with I think Everton have been. There's a scene in Moneyball. Have you seen the film Moneyball, Dave? Yeah? yeah. 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 There's a scene in it where Brad Pitt says something along the lines of, "If we behave like the Yankees in here." we will use, lose to the Yankees out there. And I think Everton have tried to, in the transfer market and stuff, just buy players that aren't, I don't know, just signing the likes of James Rodriguez when Real Madrid don't want them, and signing maybe Andre Gomez from a Barcelona when Barcelona don't really want them. And I don't know, just, just too too many things like that, really. Obviously, it worked a little bit with Luca Dean, and it will work every now and then. But I just think in terms of being a little bit, you know, thinking outside the box, doing something differently. That's kind of, for me, what Everton needs to do to to really push on. Obviously, it's, as we said then, over the course of the season, year to year, it is a a slight improvement. I think on the attacking side, Everton have scored, I think, three more goals this season compared to last. And on the defensive side, they've conceded eight, eight fewer or something like that, I think it was. So, um, you know, that that's a, a an improvement in attack and defence. So, it, it is an improvement, but obviously, as I said, when you're looking at the lead table and when you're thinking about where everything should be, you know, realistically, they should be above... Let's have a look at the finish behind. So, they, they should be above Leeds, really. You know, if, if they had any kind of alignment, they, they should be above Leeds. They should be above Arsenal at the minute for me because Arsenal are really messy and going in all kinds of different directions. West Ham... On, in a very short period of time, under David Moyes, have climbed to sixth. Um, Everton can can certainly achieve a season like that, if not better, if they just start to get a bit smarter, basically.
0: Mm, yeah, I agree. Um, I said we'll we'll see if where they finished was fair because it's quite funny. So. <clears throat> Uh, maybe less so for yourself, Josh, because obviously I know you tweet a little bit less or talk publicly less about Everton than say I would. Um, but I found up until mid March, late March, I was still getting a lot of grief on social media, um, some responses to episodes of like analysing Everton stuff where we were where I was kind of saying, you know, Everton are really playing well here. I know they're getting results, but. It is very much kind of flip of a coin stuff. It's really tight margins and more of it just seems to go be going their way then, uh, than it has in other, other periods, you know, other campaigns maybe. I use Marco Silver as an example. I thought it was very similar under him, but he just wasn't getting the same kind of look. He wasn't as sideways and as, as side good from things like set pieces. Um but as I said, I was getting a lot of backlash uh, up until March and then it kind of feels like these last few weeks... Um, there seems to be this general consensus that, yeah, Everton are rubbish, fully deserve where they, where, they, where they are on the table. Football's been terrible for months and months. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, which says to me, the, the you know, results bias is very much alive and well, isn't it? Um, you know, it, it shapes a lot of opinions. So,
1: I mean, you'd know on. that results bias was alive and well if you watched the Europa League final last night. You know, at, mm. at at The hands of a, a goalkeeper scoring a penalty, the, the pundits after the game, the, the narrative was totally different compared to yeah. if, Ru, if Rooley had missed his pin and De Gea had scored his. You, you can't, yeah, you can't be like that, in my opinion. Yeah. You just can't you need to be a bit more level because football's a weird game and can happen in a, in a game of football.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about like that actually. That's a good example because, uh, I was thinking, you know. If if they won won that penalty shootout, which you know is is a lottery, we know, uh, you know it it suddenly be, Sol such you know the the ret- he's bringing United back to where they belong and he's the right man and that and now he's getting questioned again. You know it is such fine margins that make these whole kind of sweeping uh, opinions and statements. But we better get back to Everton. Um, what I've used, I, I've had a quick look at under stats expected points metric. Um, Again, I always point out that the same, you know, does have blind spots, but it it is good just for a quick overview to capture where we're at. And Everton finished, uh, based on expected points this season, Everton finished 12th, which I'm I'm running through the table now. Top three is City, Chelsea, Liverpool, United fourth. Uh, Then you've got like Brighton still, Brighton right up there. Then you've got Leicester, West Ham, Arsenal, Villa. So everyone's kind of in the positions that he finished. Now, pointing out that it's a fairly accurate reflection of where you should be. Uh, I was going to run through where he finished in some key areas uh, and I was going to search that but I remember that Michael Greenall, who, uh, he, he might actually listen to the show, so, that's a, that's a form of shout out for him but, uh, he, he kind of conveniently Ranked Everton uh, based on you know where they finished in specific areas this season, so I'll, I'll run through that quickly now, just before throwing it over to you. Um, in terms of shots attempted per ninety, Everton ranked fifteenth in the table. In terms of shots faced, he ranked thirteenth. In terms of non penalty xG, they ranked twelfth. In terms of non penalty xG against, he ranked fourteenth. Uh, passes completed into the box sixteenth. Passes completed into the final third thirteenth. Uh, opposition passes into the penalty box twelfth, and opposition passes into the final third sixteenth. Um, Josh, <laughs> give me your <laughs> initial thoughts on those numbers I uh, have just run through, and the kind of team you're you're thinking of when you hear them.
1: Well. They're certainly not numbers that lend themselves to, to probability, really, in terms of likelihood of, of winning and stuff like that. If, if they're the numbers that you're posting every week, it, it's just unlikely that you're going to come out the opposite end most of the time with a win, which is, I suppose, whatever your club is aiming for. You know, there's, there's too much you leave leaving there to chance, by the looks of it. When it comes to your performance, you know, obviously I've said plenty of times in the past on this podcast, there's plenty of things that can impact a football match. It's not just two teams perform against each other and the best team wins. But from a data perspective, that's kind of how we look at it. We we like to dumb it down to, to that. And in an ideal world, that's how it'll look. And I think Everton, most weeks this season, you know, most of the time I've watched them. Very few times have I came away from an Everton game thinking Everton... With the better team there, they deserved three points. You know, a lot of the time it's just been quite a vague performance where there's no, there's few identifiable traits attached to Everton's game, and it's kind of just a game of footy. <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. whatever happens, happens. Really, it's, it's, it it does. It looks it's not very, I don't know, just premeditated, very thorough. It's not very. It doesn't lend itself to a a winning approach. You know, all that sort of stuff, really. It's Mm. frustrating. And I think uh, it's... But but I'll be honest, it's it's roughly what I expected, though, when Ancelotti was appointed. I must admit, I thought I expected a little bit better, actually. But I still didn't think his approach was was the kind of thing that resulted in the team posting really dominant performance numbers. He's always just... He's kind of obviously. the typical Italian mould whereby you know your your approach changes with the match scenario and if you've got a lead you start making defensive subs maybe if you've got a if you're trying to get a lead back you need you start making attacking subs and all that sort of stuff so I'm not that surprised um, I think he, he, he will do better when he's got better players available to him but in terms of I suppose getting a group of players to perform above their level I'm not sure Ancelotti was ever going to be that man, really
0: the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
1: I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly
0: from Bloomberg. This is the Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment
1: that is a harsh lesson in business sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together i didn't want to do another stomp you out speech it opened so, up so many you know, more doors the show is called the, the deal. deal
0: listen to the deal listen to the deal on spotify we talk so much about these performance indicators and a lot of people you know maybe less less so the ones who listen to this show and you know taking interest in this side of things but the man on the street is just so dismissive of it because all they say is it's, it's just about winning and it's all these kind of unquantifiable actions that decide football matches and stats don't really matter. And the experience I have is, there's, there's you know, one in particular I can think of, a friend of mine who says things like, you know, Martinez, uh, he, he, wants, he, he loved ball possession, he always wanted to have the ball and you know, we had one of the worst own records ever under him. And I think you're getting, I think when people talk like that, they're getting confused or you don't fully understand it. Like, ball possession, yes. You know, we're not saying that's to be all and end all. Although I think it is beneficial to have the ball and to not have the ball more often than not. But you don't need to be a side who dominates the ball to win football matches. You know, that's obvious. But things like, you know, outshooting the opposition, that is important because, you know... Goals come in so many different ways. Like you can talk about these like sweet spots where you try and get the ball into specific areas that, you know, might have a higher probability converting into a goal, but at the end of the day, it goals are scored in so many different ways, headers from distance and you know, close range, long range, whatever. Um so the team having more shots is likely gonna score more goals. And if you're kind of only taking one or two shots per game. You you're putting a lot of pressure on your forwards to convert. You know, that uh, Evan against Sheffield United, Calvert Loom missed a, a, a chance from about four yards out. You know, if you give him three more shots in that game, he probably scores, but he he was quite restricted. You know, he doesn't get he, he doesn't get many more chances to fix it. And this was another thing early in the season where people talk about Everton so efficient in front of goal, you know, they've got the best conversion rate in in the Premier League. And again that's probably stat- st- st- like statistical misuse there because I think if me and you were looking at that, Josh, we that would raise alarm bells rather than be, than be something that we'd be celebrating. Um, because you, you you know that the probably scoring at a rate that isn't going to be sustainable, and you know surely enough it isn't. I mean Everton, Everton over the last twenty three games, I think have scored one goal or less on eighteen occasions. You no, know, they're just. They're really, they really i guess they just haven't they, <laughs> it's really hard to say that you need to pay attention to these underlying numbers because they tell you the story and this is and this is proven to be the case here i think what's helped devon this year is if they've they've been pretty good at set pieces i think they've got them scored the second most this year uh, and they've they've had a strike in calvert lewin who's been converting at an on par rate you know he hasn't been particularly overperforming uh He's, he's performed about on par, scored the goals that he should have. Uh, but that's, that's that's helped kind of Everton, you know, get important goals and turn draws or defeats into positive results.
1: Yeah, I mean, one, one thing I was going to flag a few weeks back, I was going to tweet it, but I decided to have a quiet night. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there was a, a game a few weeks back, a few months back now, actually. Everton played West Brom. Uh, I'm assuming you caught it. It was a terrible game. Um, Everton ended up winning 1 0. And uh, it was that bad of a game that the Everton admin on Twitter tweeted the match results alongside the phrase, A win is a win is a win, mm-hmm. right? Now, this is Everton's form after that win, right? So let's okay, a win is a win is a win, great. So after that, right, this is Everton's form loss, loss, draw. Draw, draw, win, loss, win, draw, loss, win, loss. So what I'm getting at there is obviously it's really nice to pick up a win, pick up three points when you don't necessarily deserve it, if your performance hasn't been great. You know, there's that there's that cliche that the best teams in the past, Premier League winners and stuff, can win on an off day. Um but the thing is when it comes to if you're doing it on a fairly consistent basis and your performances are quite regularly not that good, but you're getting over the line, again, it, it raises a red flag. And you can take joy in it in the moment, saying a winner's a win, winner and all that sort of stuff. It is nice. But it's you're just less likely to get consistency. Basically, you're less likely to get consistent results if every week your performance is just level. With your opponents, or sometimes waste, mm. because uh, yeah. you know it's it's up for grabs then, and it, you know you're not dominating games, you're not you're not like putting putting the game, putting the result beyond reasonable doubt with your performance. You just kind of like playing football, and 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 anything can happen. And when 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 that's the case, when anything can happen, anything will happen. And that's why some weeks you'll lose, some weeks you'll draw, some weeks you'll win. The reason Pep Guardiola is so good is obviously massive caveat. He's got incredible players, always has had incredible players. But what he does on the performance side is he takes care of absolutely everything. If you watch a Manchester City game, they, they don't give their opponents a sniff, the, the style of play. City, at some point in the season, they were facing like under six shots a game and taking over 15 a game themselves, while also seeing 80% of the ball and seeing all of the ball in the opponent's half. That's You're taking care of the, the intangibles there. You're taking care of the performance, basically. And that's why Guardiola very rarely loses because obviously you take care of the performance as well as having, obviously, really good players. But the performance aspects is what we focus on this podcast. And, you know, early in the season, I feel like we, there was opportunities Dave, where we we could have blown smoke and I feel like we did blow up a little bit of smoke just to appease listeners maybe because at the end of the day, if your team's winning, you want to hear good things. But with the the, the nature of this podcast, I did feel a need at the time to flag listen, this might be unsustainable this. And I think now that the season's ended and you can look back for Everton to finish, 10th, bang in the middle of top and bottom, I think sums up the, the inconsistency really, the, the bang in the middle of the, of the table.
0: Yeah. I think there was a hope early in the year that maybe, you know, we, we were missing something, maybe there was something in the numbers uh, or, you know, slightly better players, you know, things like the set pieces were just doing enough to to overcome, you know, what what the performance indicators were saying, but, you know, sure enough, it caught up in the end uh, and, you know, on final day when you played every team twice, I haven't finished tenth. I think if you if you want to find a really good example of why it's so important and why it it does seem to eventually even out, you know I hate to say, it, but look at Liverpool uh, heading into those final ten yeah. games of the season. You know Liverpool, I think they were, they just suffered six back to back defeats. They were level on. I'm just looking now level on points with Everton. Haven't played a game more. Both on forty six, but. Liverpool have almost consistently been the side who... I mean, I don't know if it was the, the same at the time, but I know if it wasn't the same, they were very close. But I'm just having look now this season. You know, they've had the most shots per 90 of any side. You know, they're, they're, I think they're in the top three for non-penalty XG. Um, similar for defensive numbers. Liverpool continue to do things right. They, they continue to be the more dominant side in matches. Um, It just felt like, you know errors as as we know, Josh did they had some defensive errors that 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 killed them a bit and just some really below par finishing. The strikers, it was almost a perfect storm in that the forwards almost unanimously at the same time started struggling to convert. Uh you know, really underperforming. And everyone was kind of losing their heads saying, you know, Liverpool are a mess, uh, this and that. And the reality was, it just they just kept doing what they'd been doing, and sure enough, it stabilized. And over those last ten Premier League games, they were the only side to go undefeated. And then they got obviously going and finish third. Um, so I, you know, again, this is just why it's, it's worth paying attention to this stuff. It's it's not you know a gang of nerds just trying to ruin football or anything <laughs> like that. It's there's you know me and Josh are from from some mathematics backgrounds. You know that's not how we got into football. You know, we're like everyone else, you know, go and watch football, play it, you know, a passion for it, and then started delving into a little, little bit deeper from an analysis point of view and, and saw the value in, you know, utilising stuff like this. And, and that's why, you know, we're big on pushing it with others. Um, so, go on. I was going to say,
1: on, uh, move on. I was going to say, uh, you know, in in reference to Liverpool, I, I recall saying it, around the side Derby when, when we previewed that. I remember saying that Liverpool is still performing really, really well in a lot of departments. Liverpool are still performing as a top side, but they've just lost all efficiency in both penalty boxes. And I remember kind of like I felt I felt like a loss was coming to be honest, and it did come. But the fact that Liverpool were performing well, generally speaking, meant that, you know, those other aspects, the luck, the VAR decisions, the injuries, the finishing, it, it was going to turn eventually in you know, Liverpool's form at the end of the season. Although there was definitely some bits of luck in there, you could argue that that, that was just a luck turn and that was just Liverpool benefiting from it a little bit more after after suffering earlier in the season. But yeah, I think it's a good example of a team that has been performing well, not getting the justified results. and. Gradually started to get what they deserve And I think it'll be interesting looking into next season How Brighton specifically get on Because they're another team that the numbers suggest Are really really good They just haven't had the results to show for it But moving forward It'll be interesting to see if they do really well next season And if they do I'm sure a lot of the analytics community will flag that Listen we told you about Brighton basically um, hmm. Although that's that can that can be very annoying.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I probably won't be one of them, but I'll be observing others doing it. I think. The Royal Blue podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I think we've pretty much summarised that unfortunately Everton probably finished where he deserved. Um so I guess the next part of the show maybe is trying to work out, you know, who's to blame, if anyone. Because um, there's a general feeling that uh, most people are still on board with with Ancelotti. Um you can understand why, obviously, given the man the reputation he's got and Don't want to be thinking about chopping the change of managers all the time. Um, And the the general feeling is that the players just aren't good enough. You know, the squad's rotten to the core and improvements are needed. When bringing new players in the summer, everything will be rosy again next year and I'm going to push on. Have you got any thoughts on that, Josh? You know, in your opinion, looking back on the campaign, are you thinking it's... The manager takes some responsibility, or are you thinking he's done all he can, and the the players just aren't good enough. You know what's what's your general overview on it?
1: I think, as usual in this situation, it's it's a merge of a lot of things. Really, it's it's not one person to blame. It's more kind of a it's an alignment, really, and Everton seems to lack that alignment. I think, um, and although I don't think Angelou's done particularly great and you know looking at the performance numbers of Everton there, those are performance numbers of a side that don't look very good and that's what you can level at a coach that, that's, say for example we'll use Brighton as an example again, the fact that Brighton post really good performance numbers but they don't necessarily get the results that is evidence as to why Graham Potter is good because he's got his team performing well but I suppose at both ends of the pitch when it comes to letting in Shots and scoring, you know, finding a back of the net with your shots. You can, you can blame the players a little bit for that. So I think when you look at Brighton, you can look at their numbers and say, okay, Graham Potter's not the problem there. At Everton, that's a bit less the case. Everton don't look that good on the performance side. And that, that has to be leveled a little bit at the manager. But then at the same time, I've said plenty of times on this podcast, you are only as good as your players, really. And I think if you look at Everton's squad, I've said since we've been doing this podcast, I, I don't like the squad. I haven't liked it for ages. It's, it's messy. It's full of short-term fixes. And as a result of the short-term fixes that you keep investing in, you you end up at a point every summer where there's transition and where there's, there's deadwood you need to get out. Whereas if Everton started to sign, basically adopt a bit of a, more of a recruitment method showcased by Leicester, I think. You know, that's the same players who tend to be below the age of twenty-five, while still also being good enough to deliver. Now, um, obviously they linked already this summer with uh, Sumari from Lille. He's twenty-two years old. They're getting him for around twenty-one million. Just deals like that. Just Everton just needs to really overhaul what what their approach actually is, what they're doing, because it they seem a little bit lost, I think. They need to align the recruitment with the playing style, with the coach. You know, that that's the main thing, and I don't think it is aligned. I think I couldn't tell you what Everton style of play is. Um, I couldn't tell you, you know, if you look at the, the players that they recruit, do they fit a specific brand of football? Do, do they all have a similar theme, really, to them? I'm not sure they do. And Ancelotti, although it's worked for him throughout his career, and it, it it will work at certain levels, you know, certain other managers do this. You know, it, it is typically an Italian state. I think Zidane's a little bit like this as well when it comes to adapting game to game. But if you are going to have that approach where you're, you're changing your your strategy, it's, it's more of a strategic approach than a philosoph- philosophical approach where your strategy changes match to match based on the scenario. But the thing is, with that, is um, it's difficult to, to plan for? It's difficult to, to build a squad tailored to, to do that? Yeah. What about yourself? Think,
0: yeah, yeah, you basically, you know, I was going to lead on to that. Uh, I think that's the major issue in that, you know, people talk about it being a big summer, getting the players and you want, but I look and think, you know, yeah, I can think of positions that Evan probably need to recruit him, but... Recruiting for this Everton side isn't easy because there isn't a philosophy. You know, I'm looking at the the formations Everton played last year. I um, just brought it up on who scores and Everton played 4-4-3, uh, 4-3-3 9 times, four two three one eight times, four four two seven times, four three one two four times, and then you know another few other formations. That is a lot of changing and I understand that uh, injuries have been an issue you know, Rodriguez in and out uh, Alan had a spell on the sidelines The core missed a couple of months as well you know, there's been injuries of course but it's, that, should, that to me is just a lot of disruption week in, week out you know, it's hard to kind of build a rhythm a hard place to kind of fine tune playing in a specific position when you're chopping and changing every week and then again, I'm like, you know, how do you how do you recruit for that? You know, what, what are Everton going to do this 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 summer in terms of recruitment? Like everyone's saying, buy better players. But it's really hard, I think, to identify those players without having that kind of set playing philosophy and even formation. I don't mind adjusting your formation to nullify the strengths of the opposition or if there are injuries. But there, they, to me, you know, going from, like, say, a... I don't know, a four three three or to like a four three one two or a four four two. They're quite big changes, maybe less so much a four three three and a four two three one. You know, that you can you can make a case that they're, they're similar in some ways, but you know, they're quite different kind of structure changes, that structural changes for me. Um I just I, I, I don't know if it's just gonna be a case of buying players and if so, what players and then when you bring them in, what are you gonna do with them? You know, is it? Are you going to have a set philosophy then that you're going to build around them, or you just is it going to be kind of typical Ancelotti where he he just wants to have better players on the pitch and then let those players make stuff happen? Like I feel like that was the case with Rodriguez. It was like just get Rodriguez in; he's a good player, and you know, leave it to him to create uh, goal scoring opportunities, which you know he he did a fair bit of. But I feel like there's beyond that like you look at when they attack and it's just it feels like there's, there's not a lot going on you don't really see any kind of structures or behaviours in the way they attack it's very much kind of ball into the final third see if so, a certain player can make something happen maybe the Charles and Dribbles a little bit uh, maybe Luca Dean on the overlap he'll cross into the box for Calvert-Lewin header but that's about it um, and for those reasons I think it's just going to be really hard to to buy the right players and, and then build around them.
1: Yeah, the thing is with the formations thing as well, like I wouldn't mind that anywhere near as much if you had if you always had a set way of playing. If you if you had set principles of play and the formations adapted match to match, that would be less of an issue. But the fact that the formations change alongside the approach changing from week to week. It just doesn't really allow for for much to be developed over a long term period. Um, you know, one week Everton could be in a four three three or a four two three one or or playing a back three or whatever. But if they were always say a high pressing, intense direct team, fine. And if or if they were a, a slow building possession side or whatever fine but it, it's that the formations are changing all the time and then one week you're going from a counter-attack and start a play the next week you're trying to dominate possession next week you're trying to a... so you know what are, just all different different ways of playing basically and you, you kind of want to get to a point where you kind of know exactly what you are and everything just don't seem to you know if you look at the players that they've signed over the course of the past few years and what I've just been saying, they don't really fit any specific mould. They, they they just seem to be loads of different players. <laughs> um, mm. like e- e- even centre half that have been signed over the course of the past few years, you know, you've got Ben Ben Godfrey, and you've got Michael Keane, who you would argue is a different type of defender in terms of the style of play that would suit his strengths. And then you've got Yeri Mina. You know, the, the way, like, say, for example, Manchester City, let's use Manchester City as an example. They will always, not that they're very good at buying centre-backs, by the way, but they will always mm-hmm. buy centre-backs, at least, and players in general who are technically flawless because of Guardiola's approach. You know, it's it's all about possession. It's all about baiting your opponents and playing through them and all that sort of stuff. Same with, same with Liverpool. If Liverpool ever signed in the centre-half? The centre-half is always really dominant physically in terms of his size, his aerial ability and his speed. And that's because of the high line, the intense play that Liverpool represents. Everton just, they just buy players, they, they just seem to buy players that they think are good, players that they think might help. But in terms of <laughs> refining an identity it's just it's not being done and I, I can't really see it being done anytime soon and i think if there's any man that i would have thought might have suggested that sort of thing it would have been probably marcel Brandt g- given that he's a sporting director mm. but it doesn't really seem to have been put in place really
0: yeah yeah that, that i mean that is the crux of the issue yeah i remember listening to an interview with Thomas Tuchel. Not long after he joined Chelsea, and he, he was talking about you know the making a lot about the back three, then the back four and stuff. And he basically said, you know, the formation isn't isn't the, the the crux of the issues. No, it's not the biggest thing because it's only really a player moving five or ten yards the other way. You know, five or ten yards in different positions, and that's why I was alluding to you know four two three one four three three. There's not a huge difference there, but it's. It is the issue of um not having that philosophy, not having that structure. You know, ch- I I just don't think you can get away with chopping and changing that. And I I think it's no coincidence that, you know, Everton have done pretty well against the top teams this year because they've proven that they're a side who can sit in quite well. Um, you know, defended defending a decent l- low mid block. You Nobody know, they've got players made for that. You've just touched on a couple of them, I think. Keane showed when he was at Burnley that he's he, he's a good defender when the play is in front of him. Mean is probably similar to that. Maybe Godfrey is the start of Everton trying to move away from that because uh, obviously Godfrey's really quick, really good player. Um but because you're chopping and changing, suddenly when Everton uh, at home to Sheffield United at home to Fulham at home to Newcastle and those teams go, look, you have the ball and you can try and break us down. They look clueless because, you know, they, they haven't been doing it all season. That they're, they're constantly flipping and flapping from one way to the other. I thought another side who struggled with this for a while and it's got better this year. But, you know, certainly in the first year or so of his tenure, uh, Oligon, Charles United, you know, a really, really good side uh, in terms of... Uh, playing on the counter-attack because of the pace they had but when it when they, when they were coming up in teams where they were expected to actually break them down, you know, they, they struggled. And I was just of the opinion that you're not you're not getting almost you're not getting your practice doing it week in, week out, are you? Because you're you're constantly reverting back to this this attacking system. And okay, it picks up points in these big games and you know, picked up valuable points at that, but it, it, it's got to be better uh, and I think there are, there does need to be a more clear philosophy maybe you know Josh we're, we, we only get to see don't we what happens in the 90 minutes uh, on the pitch in league games we don't get to see the conversations that being up, that behind the scenes or you know the plans going forward maybe the plan is that you will you know going to bring in X, Y and Z and this will open the door for Evan to play in this manner you know with this philosophy but just from what we can see from the outside looking in, it doesn't it doesn't look like uh, like there's a kind of any tracks laid to to follow. I guess.
1: Yeah, and I do think looking at looking at Everton's squad, it, it is kind of going to be if you are going to go down this route where you start to develop a bit of an identity, a bit of a contingency plan for whenever the manager leaves, you still want to remain the same. You want to uphold these principles all the time. Everton are kind of they're gonna have to go through a long term thing if if they're gonna if they're gonna achieve that. You know, they need to stop taking shortcuts, I think, is is how I've basically described it. You know, even in the summer just gone, you know, Ancelotti signing two of his two players who he's previously worked with, I I thought was a little bit of a a bit of a shortcut. You know, he signed Alan for for twenty two and a half million. And he signed Hammers as years, albeit for a free transfer. Um, one of those was twenty nine, he was thirty. And I just thought it was don't get me wrong, Everton always needs to remain competitive. Everton can't just accept, you know, three years of finishing fifteenth because for for development purposes. But there's a balance you can strike between starting to plan more long term and remaining competitive now. There's a balance you can strike, and Everton and Michiri, in particular, they, they seem really impatient when it comes to achieving this goal of of Champions League football. You know, they seem to want to get there really quickly. Whether it's appointing Ancelotti, who has won all kinds of European Cups in the past, so he will get us there. Whether it's signing Hamas Rodriguez and Andre Gomez because they've played there and they are that standard, apparently. Um, whether it's, you know, appointing Ronald Koeman, who's a football legend in terms of his, how he's renowned, they need to t- take more of a long term or medium term, like, patience approach to, to getting where they want to be. And if they do that, it'll get to a point where we, these starts that really challenge and, and every year and deserve the challenge as well, not just kind of fluking it. Um, but instead they seem to be going down the short same route and the shortcut route and it'd be different if those shortcuts were delivering but those shortcuts aren't really helping you that much they're just making things worse Um, you're just losing time
0: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo
1: It's only a kick a jump a block It's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans,
0: after all, it's only pressure. You got this, Adidas. Look at, I mean, look at Alan, like, I had a full season watching Alan now, you know, we, although he was firmly on our radar, you know, it's not as if he was an unknown constantly playing at Napoli. You know, but watching for full year now, he's, he, he's probably one of Everton's better midfielders. But you're telling me you couldn't have got, with some proper scouting, you couldn't have got an equivalent of him, you know, either as good, if not better, for 22.5 million, who was 23, 24, you know, someone who you're going to be able to use in the long term, build your team around. And that leads on to my concern really, you know, going back to the top of this part of the segment where it says, oh, you know, is it gonna be a simple of just buying better players? Because the the kind of sweeping opinion seems to be, you know, back Ancelotti, let him bring the players in he wants. But again, touching on what you've just said, Josh, you know, is this just gonna be a load of shortism? Like it, are we gonna see, you know, buying like three S is- Iscos or something, bringing in ISCO, someone sitting you know, these kind of players who he's thinking, you know, they'll do a job for us this year. Uh, they've been great players in the past. Because you look back now and you think, I mean, I still really like James Rodriguez. I, I like that son and I think he contributed a lot this season. But if you just use him and Alan as the example, both of them just spent so long unavailable, you know, unavailable to actually be on the pitch. And it was stuff that he could have predicted based on the injury record. So I'm just not sure whether giving Ancelotti a load of money and saying, you bring in the players you want, forget anything more long-term, you know, is is the right idea. And I wonder, what's Brands doing? You know, because Brands clearly is this guy who has this more long-term thing. And I'm starting to, and it is just guesswork, but I'm starting to think, is he kind of just being a bit restricted in what he what he can do? You know, is he is his hand tied a little bit because, you know, Mashiri, he invests the money, but he likes to be involved, doesn't he? So he's probably wanting to be involved, wants to bring in those big names, wants Ancelotti to you know bring in those big names with his reputation. And as you said, if it was if it was meaning, like if it was like a Chelsea, the way Chelsea chop and change managers, but uh, you know, bring in, bring in big players and just remain consistently a kind of top four side, no matter what's happening in terms of the coaching setup. then fine. You know, if Everton were consistently top six and they were doing this, then OK. But as you said, they're not. They're trying to close that gap. And we've just played a full campaign and they finished 10th. So there's still a long way away.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, ahead of this summer, it's going to be insistent because there's a few traps out there and I'm going to call it now just in case any of these ends up happening because it'll be I think it'll genuinely be funny if it happens mate because it it, it would it would so much fit the Everton team of the past couple of years when it comes to recruitment so there's three players who were supposedly on the market that I think typical Everton would be so attracted to so number one Coutinho number two Gareth Bale and number three, Ed Nazard. I wouldn't be surprised if Everton tried to pull off what they think is a coup by getting one of those players in. Not that the bad players, they're clearly world-renowned elite players who've done it for the past decade, really. But there's a reason they're up for sale now in, in the careers, put it that way. Same mm-hmm. as Hamas Rodriguez. And, and I'm sure they will contribute when they're on the pitch. But when how how often they'll get on the pitch remains to be seen. What they'll be offering yet in a year's time remains to be seen, and what they'll be taking off your wage will will be quite heavy. Um. So yeah, can I, and, can I know, add
0: to that list? Can I add to that on,
1: list? Go on.
0: Isco, Isco seems to be one that's constantly linked. Uh, Koulibaly, oh consistently linked as well. That's uh, a good show,
1: yeah.
0: And Zaha. Now, yeah, definitely. Now, just on on Zaha, for example, Josh. Uh, I don't know if I've cut you off if you had anything more to say but quickly what what's your thoughts on Zaha because he's obviously clearly now in that age where you, you risk getting stuck with a player but he's also a player who'd bring a lot to your attack would would he still be someone that you'd, you, you'd purchase and I'm only asking because I feel like uh, he, he stinks of ever making a move for him again um, <laughs> would you, but would you still think uh, maybe make an exception for him because you know, he's just had his best campaign and if I guess crucially, if the finances were were not too bad, you know, if it was maybe a two year deal with an option for a third, and you know, it wasn't the seventy million, it was closer to thirty or something. I don't know. Would you would you look at that, or would you would you be like, no, come on, let's let's be a bit wise and look at something a bit more long term?
1: Well, I think what you've just said there is is the crucial note. I think it's it it, it would depend on on the whole price of it, um you know, given that Crystal Palace are kind of going through a period of upheaval anyway this summer, I'm inclined to think they'd be a little bit reluctant to lose Zaha easily. He's going to check now as I'm speaking. i going to check when his contract runs out. So, he has a deal until yeah, 2023. So he's got two years on his deal this summer. So if Crystal Palace are going to sell him, it's going to be this summer, really. Mm. Um I don't know if you, if you look at him, he's a player I don't mind, but I've always felt his threat is exaggerated. I, th- I think when it comes to playing against him, he naturally mm. makes you feel threatened. He's naturally looks to be a dangerous player. When he assumes possession against you, you're a bit, you go within yourself and you think, oh, just tackle him or just put him in the stands or something like that, don't you? Um, but when when you look at his actual product, it's, it's, you'd expect maybe a little bit better, you know, over the course of the past, well, his whole Premier League career, his whole career, he scored 10 non-penalty goals only once in the Premier League. That was two seasons ago. Mm. Um, Obviously, he helps a lot with your ball progression. You can get you into the penalty box, which is valuable if you need it. Um, And he doesn't tend to get injured very much. You know, he's, he, if you look at his his playing time over the course of the past, say, five seasons or something, he's played. So in terms of full 90s, this season he played 29 full 90s. Season before, around 36. Season Mm. before, around 34. Around 28. Around 34. Around 28. So he's available a lot as well. So he's not the worst signer, don't get me wrong. Mm. But I, I do agree with you in terms of it would be very Everton to sign a player who I suppose could have his best years behind him. It uh, looks to be maybe a bit of a cause in a way, considering he's what you would label as a Premier League talent. You know, just, I suppose it minimises the risk and stuff, but hmm. I'm not sure when it comes to Zaha. What about hmm. yourself?
0: Uh, yeah, a lot of this, I think I look at him and think, would he improve the Everton attack? Yes, but there's just too many other aspects that really put me off I think it, on reflection if it could have happened two years ago when he tried to make a move but ended up bringing in a Wolby, you know had it happened then I think it would have been okay you know he's shown that he's still performed at a really high well high-ish level you know basically the numbers you just said there I think he's someone who can contribute maybe 10 to 15 goals a season uh, and also be a bit of a headache for the opposition Everton do not really have enough of that. So, you know, on that basis, he probably would have been a successful signing, but not for the money that you would have to pay to get him in. Uh, And I think he's just very close to that uh, edge where you fall off a cliff a little bit, especially with attackers. It just seems to happen a little bit earlier. You know, i mentioned Koulibaly before. I think that would be a typical Everton signing. No, not one I'm particularly a fan of. Uh, But at least as a centre back, he might have, you know, a bit more longevity in him. Uh, where it, is, it feels like?
1: Come on, what are you gonna say? I was just gonna say just just on Zaha. I think what would, what would be more my frustration is what Everton could do instead. I think that that would probably be my big my bigger issue mm-hmm. with it because if you think of what he'd cost, he's probably complete guess. But at the very least, you you're surely looking about forty million for him. He's, he's Palace's best player. Two years left on his deal, which isn't that bad. So you're paying at least 40 million, I think, for him. And that's probably if you're being nice about it. It's probably a bit more than that. Mm. And I think if you look around the league at clubs who are willing to think a little bit more outside the box, you know, you think of Rafinha going to Leeds last summer for about 20 million. Mm. Even even, you know, West Ham signing, say like a player like Ben Rama for just under 20 million, who's who's about four. Three or four years younger. Mm. Um, West Ham have
0: let, bought well, haven't they You know, Bowen and stuff like that. They've, they've yeah, bo- Bowen's
1: an- Yeah, Bowen's another example. But I think it, it it more be my frustration that Everton are choosing to take to take that route again. Really, when it mm. when it when it's clearly, I suppose in the past, not really worked too well for them. Mm.
0: Yeah, I agree. And here's an interesting one for you before we, because uh, we'll have to we'll have to wrap up, won't we? Uh, would you have another look at? Uh, basically, I'm thinking about relegated teams, and I know this guy, this is a bit of a cheat, this one because he was only on a loan, but would you look at Luckman? again for Everton? Because I had a little gander at his numbers. Uh, he, he, I think he was around non penalty xG plus xA. He was ten combined this season. Uh, score four goals, assisted four for a, a really poor attack. Um would he be someone you'd look at or maybe like Pereira at West Brom? You know, would they be wiser signings in your opinion than, you know, spending probably twice the money uh to bring in Zaha who's a lot older from uh, from Palace?
1: Those are the kinds of players that I I would prefer to see Everton go for, yeah. Um simply because a lot of it would, would come down to the fact that if it doesn't work immediately, it's not then doomed. No, mm-hmm. if if Zaha doesn't kick on immediately or Everton don't really kick on too much, by the time he might kick on, maybe maybe Zaha's thirty one or something like that. If you sign in mm-hmm. a player like Pereira, who I think is around maybe twenty three, Lukman is still very young, obviously. Yeah, at least as well. Yeah, at least I've got plenty of time to repay the value. Plenty of time to, to come good sort of thing is there any kind of buyback with Luckman like that no, no he, I he, think he's been so. sold hasn't he yeah, he's not long done.
0: yeah yeah so he's uh he's being sold and you know he, he might have a future now at, at Leipzig. Is it Leipzig because obviously Nagelsmann's going to buy and Jesse March is going in there and then he might want to have a look at him uh, but the impression is I think maybe they're just a little bit too good for them to get in there so yeah I don't know if there's any buyback and there might be too much water under the bridge on that one but I think if you look at how we performed this season in a poor Fulham side, um, to get that return, I think he's an he's just an interesting an interesting player.
1: Yeah, he is. I mean, the fact that he's still contracted to to Leipzig, I, I don't I don't think both particularly well considering you know German clubs and you know the the extra price that you tend to put on English talent and stuff. So mm. I think if Everton did want him back. A, it would like, it would make Everton look bad, really, in the transfer market. You know, remember the whole, Pogba thing, in terms of what it looked like when you sell a play and you want him back so, so, soon after. But I think B, you know, I think Leipzig would probably try to take Everton to cleaners regarding a price. So I don't think mm-hmm. you'd get him for as, as cheap as you'd want, really. Uh, I like I like the thoughts of Pereira a bit more, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, He's done
0: like hasn't me
1: this year. Yeah, but I think even 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 him. You know, maybe there's other options from from outside Europe, and have a bit of a tendency to stay inside the Premier League sometimes, and stay inside England and that. And I don't know. I just, I just like to see Everton make a few signings where they kind of catch me off guard, and I'm a bit like, that's interesting. That's a clever little move. Mm, mm, um, Because yeah. a lot, a lot of the time, it's just kind of like, oh, shock. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, just you will know, we'll uh, Like a, a FIFA slash football manager signing. Well, I think I'm actually doing football manager this service. Maybe more just like a standard FIFA one. You know, you've uh, got all the money and you want to just spend it on the best players. Except Everton can't track them. Uh, maybe, Josh, we'll do like a recruitment episode in a couple of weeks. I think that might be good. Uh, we'll have a look who, who we think, you know, would be good moves for Everton. I know we've done similar stuff in the past and he tend to be Quite enjoyable, I think, hopefully, for listeners. So, if you look for that,
1: yeah, we'll have to back up our talk to be honest because we're yeah, a slate and yeah. Everton's recruitment department. And then, when we, what, when we come with our names, we have to come up with some belters.
0: That's why I've kicked the bucket down, you know, down the line for a few weeks so we can, <laughs> uh, we can have a good look at it and roughly prepare. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so you know, big episode, but good to think, I think, to. Run through the season as a whole and look ahead to next season. Hopefully, you've enjoyed it. Um, thanks, as always, for reaching out. Really do appreciate it. Um, I know it sounds like a small, a small thing, a small gesture, but you know when when you're sitting sitting talking about football for an hour, it, it, you know it's nice that people reach out to us both and say that they've enjoyed listening to it. Um, so, Josh, thank you very much.
1: Yeah, no worries, mate. Good to be back.
0: Cheers and uh, take care, everyone, and we'll catch up again soon. You've been listening to the Royal Blue podcast from the Liverpool Echo.